Captain. Incoming message. Hey there, Spocklighters. Liam here. Just before we get into today's very special Star Trek Prodigy Season 1 Part 2 review episode with returning guest David Trumbull, just a few notes upstart. This episode has a couple of sound issues because we started out recording in a room that seemed very echoey. So we moved to another room that at the time to our ears seemed less echoey. But now listening back to the episode, I'm not sure how true that was. So do apologise for that in advance. But I would ask you to persevere because David Trumbull, who is our resident animation expert, he offers some amazing insights into the show and the animation world which are always really valuable so i do recommend keeping on listening to this despite the slight echo i should also say that this was recorded prior to the resolution of the wga strike so we do chat a lot about the whole wga strike during this episode because it was not resolved at the time however the problems uh, that we talk about here essentially do still remain as the sag after strike is still ongoing at the time of recording this don't know whether that will have been resolved by the time this episode goes out as well but i'm not recording this again like i said this is a jam-packed bumper review episode and it's full of really good stuff so please do persevere with the sound i'm sorry about that and we'll try and record in a less echoey room next time but for now Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. My name's Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Paul. Hello. We are not joined by Matt today. Unfortunately, he has been struck down by the dreaded cove, but instead we have special returning guest star, our most regular guest of all time, David Chumble. Hey guys. It's good to have you back, Dave, because you also sat in for Matt on our last Star Trek Prodigy episode. Yeah, I know, we're bookending it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, what we're discovering is Matt does not want to be in the same room with you. Well, I mean, there are ways to be like, I'm trying not to be offensive, but to go to such lengths. Literally, I mean, he sent me over a photo of his COVID test, it was definitely a felt tip on that so like, uh, you know we all know we all know the truth but yeah you joined us last time we chatted Star Trek Prodigy season one part one and the reason you joined us is because not only are you a fan of the show but you work in the animation industry that is correct so it kind of made sense to have you on for that episode and that was really I think we were all kind of really pleasantly surprised at how much we ended up enjoying the Prodigy uh, so I was looking forward to coming back for the second half of season one. And we were originally meant to record this back to back with our Star Trek Picard season three episode quite a few months ago now. But basically we wound on for so long about Picard season three that we just <laughs> didn't have time to record this episode afterwards. We literally like got to the end and oh my God, it's like midnight or something. What yeah. are we doing? Um, we the tank, we, all at, we gave it all to Patrick Stewart. Exactly. Yeah. As, yeah. It, exactly. as it should have been. Yes, yes. But we kind of worked out for the best because literally, I think it was only maybe a couple of days later or something like that, the announcement came across that Star Trek Project was essentially cancelled or seemingly cancelled and the season was getting removed from Paramount+. Plus. Uh, which came as a real shock 
to everyone, I think. Even in this time where suddenly uh, TV shows and movies are becoming ever ethereal, mm. um, you know, there's like streaming services and these studio giants just treat films and television more and more as content and nothing more than that. This is not the first time this has happened. We've had a bunch of films and TV shows that essentially just been removed or perhaps never even released. This is amazing. Catch white tops. It's not even like when we grew up, like Disney classics were not available. Like they, they would bring out one every now and again yeah. as bring it back out of the vault. But you knew the vault would open again at some point. Yeah, they well, didn't burn they, the vault. No. <laughs> well, this means these things will be on some kind of secure hard drive or something like that. So, but whenever they see the light again, day again, this is the, the weird thing about now. We just don't know if we'll ever see some of these things again. It's just so many things up in the air, aren't there? And that's the scary thing about the industry currently, I think. With- well, I think the really scary thing is the fact that now, I, obviously this isn't the case with Prodigy, uh, as it has been released on physical media. Um, and th- this was after, I think, Season 1 Part 1 had been released already. But Season 1 Part 2 basically came out really of grassroots campaigning by the fans to be like, you, if you're going to take this off, Plus, you need to release this in some kind of physical form so that we can have it. Because, I mean, you're dealing with Star Trek, one of the biggest IPs in the world. With one of the most fan bases. Yeah, 100%. People have their collections and they're going to want everything. And mm-hmm. the fact that suddenly, you know, Paramount Plus was sold as the home of Star Trek, really. Mm-hmm. That still, was their, it still calls yeah, itself that. Yeah, that was their big selling point as a streamer. And suddenly, for me, I'm like, well, you're not really the home of Star Trek if it's not all on there. Because you've removed some of it and have locked it away. And obviously, you know, what we've learned in some cases, like uh, Batgirl, um, which was meant to be released by Warner Brothers, uh, starring Leslie Grace, um, that was never released, despite being almost completely finished. And as part of the tax write-off deal, essentially, they have to delete it. They have to get rid of it. So, I mean, while there may be a copy hidden away somewhere, you know, as far as we're aware, that film no longer yeah. exists. You need, like, basically Edward Snowden working on movies to like, yeah. make sure there's, like, a version snuggled out, like, yeah. uh, at various points. Yeah, you know. I'm sure that it's somewhere next to the Eric Stoltz scenes from Back to the Future. I think it's yeah, <laughs> well, it's in the Zemeckis. Well, the directors were locked out, weren't they? Yeah, yeah directors of Batgirl tried to actually steal it themselves, like yeah. tried to get a copy mm-hmm. just for their own thing, and they got there and it was already gone. Like you know, I mean, God, that's not direct. That like took me back to reading about stories of Sam Peckinpah trying, yes, yeah, smile, playing in his fridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I was like, wow, we really just gone a complete one eighty back to here, mm-hmm. where you know, kind of, it also reminds me as a massive uh, Whovian, uh Doctor Who fan of the sixties, where literally the BBC were just dumping um, episodes and episodes of Doctor Who into basically beings. And being like, yeah, don't, don't be throwing gold away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't realise that this year they'd be celebrating the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who with like a massive like you know celebration, and it would actually be really good to have these like hundred episodes of Doctor Who around <laughs> from the sixties. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really sad state of affairs, and so right now we kind of have moved on from that a little bit in terms of you know we obviously follow all the kind of writers and showrunners of Prodigy on social media and as Mr Spock would say there are always possibilities <laughs> yes and it does seem like potentially there are 
it sounds like they are still working on season two or they have continued to work on season two past the cancellation as it were and the, the idea is for it to find another home potentially similar thing happened with uh, the Cape Crusader which is meant to be the continuation of the Bruce Tim uh, Batman the animated Star series Star Trek before as well didn't Enterprise switch networks possibly possibly I'm not sure like yeah. uh, I only remember it being on channel 4 if <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember when when before Paramount Plus had fully uh, come out, like Star Trek Discovery was CBS online. It's yeah, like, CBS All Access. It was yeah, called, yeah, Star yeah. Trek was owned by something, but it was a fish being eaten by another fish being eaten by another fish. Things constantly like changing hands. But also, yeah, yeah. like Paramount, like pictures have the the movie franchise, but CBS own the TV rights. So it's like even this this franchise is split between different divisions. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so now we really. You know, it's really unclear exactly what's going to happen. And we're always searching for news, and very much the impression we get from the people who work on Prodigy is that there is some kind of hope yeah. that maybe lives. Just saying, I feel more hopeful for this than Willow. Like, <laughs> yeah, or Willow. I mean, that is another case. Of that's that's fucking gone. Yeah, it's yeah. like ninety million dollars worth of like you know content. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, say like art, like you know. I'm, I'm, it was, uh, I didn't get to finish it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was on the service for what? Like, Two months, maybe? A couple of months? Yeah, 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 yeah. and it was just gone. I don't think that even is the the shortest amount of time that something's been on a streamer that has then been taken down. I think I think some other show has been there in terms of just yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. removing it so quickly. Oh, yeah, well, I think it's like, you know, sometimes it's almost like opening weekend vote rules apply now. If it doesn't quite set the world alight, there's no chance to build an audience or word of mouth. It's like, yeah, unperformed. Let's write it off. It's off straight away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, it's just constantly stuff just getting dumped now. And even this, I mean, the thing that I find the most egregious is things like this, where it's like something has actually been made and just not released. The fact that, you know, season two, I think when it got cancelled, was almost like done. Because it had already been given basically like a release date, hadn't it? It had already been announced, it had been like a poster, being like, oh, it's coming back and everything like that. And he's just literally, oh, no, gone. Captain's Log 61209.5. It's been weeks since leaving Tars Lamora for good. That dream of finding a place where we can be accepted is becoming real. We want to join Starfleet! I suppose they just handed you kiddos a free starship. We actually stole it. Whoever stole the protostar must be stopped. Get us out of here! The real me is hunting us. Good luck with that. So we're not going to Starfleet. As long as we have the protostar, we can still help others. This is so exciting! You saved me. I will not rest until your memories return. Who is this specimen? You know where I came from? Not where, but who? We may not be ready for Starfleet, but we're ready to take your orders, Captain. Plot of course. Who are these kids? We waited a while for the dust to settle on this announcement and be like, okay, look, there's a big hashtag that's been going around on Twitter called Save Star Trek Prodigy, and I think we're right behind that. 
and we thought it's a good time to come back, talk about season one, part two, and why this show is important and why it should come back. You know, we said this last time that this is probably the bravest of the new Star Trek shows in terms of actually pushing it into new territory rather than going over old ground. But and I think this second half of the season um, only made me think that more so in regards to it because I, I think the way they wrap things up here is, is really kind of like, wow, they're, they're really going for it. There's no, it doesn't feel like they're leaving anything on the table. Like if it did never come back, Mm. It would be sad, but at least it's kind of like, hey, they left everything out in the field, which I think it personally is the way you should always go for yeah. a first season because you never know what's yeah. going to happen. We've had that conversation before about greatest shows that yes. have left it all out in the field. And this show definitely does that. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Dave, what, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Because, of course... As I say, you work in the animation industry yourself? Yes, I'm in one of the few industries not on strike at the moment. So yeah. I managed to continue uh, chugging away at my, at my current job, which I can now talk to you guys about because uh, by the time this podcast airs, it will have been announced. So like, usually my, my spiel with you guys is, I'm working on something that I can't tell you about. And now I actually can tell you that what the project that I um, have been working on, which I still have about one month left on the story department in, is uh, an adaptation of Roald Dahl's The Twits. Amazing. Yeah. Great book. That was a huge fan of that. Whole of cheese in that beer is, is there where I left it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, don't worry. Fans of yeah. Mr. Twitch's beard will, will find the beard very well represented. Excellent. Uh, it's, it's beautifully grotesque. <laughs> that is what we're hoping for. Yeah. yeah, I'm really excited about this because obviously you've been working on the kind of Netflix Roll Dalva since they kind of bought those rights, but obviously you've been working this for a long time, not really been able to talk about it, and it's exciting that you finally are able to because yeah, like I said, this is a really exciting prospect because of course we're about to get really I think the first thing that properly came out of that deal on Netflix because the Matilda musical I think was something that was made already and they kind of you know now they have it but I think The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar and the three other adaptations that Wes Anderson has directed are coming literally at the end of this month yeah I'm really excited because one of those short stories is The Swan which is one of Rob Dahl's best shorts really quite dark and quite powerful sure um, so I'm I'm really excited to see that. And I was excited to see Ray Fiennes in the cast again for the first time since Ram Budapest. Because like, well, I thought I was talking about it's our favorite, I think, joint favorite West Anderson movie. And like, Ray Fiennes is so fucking great. And I'm just like, why has he not done another one? Because he's usually this repertory company. Of yes. And we're like, did they have a bad time on it? There's nothing in the trivia to indicate that. But like to see him kind of back in the front of the camera for for West Anderson is like a really good thing. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It drops on Netflix on the 27th of September. And Benny comes too. Is the yeah, Cucumber Patch. I don't think he hasn't been in any other West no, Anderson. No. So yeah, yeah. He's been in anything since Stop <laughs> Into Darkness, hasn't he? Sweet Sheets, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. He was everywhere for five minutes. He's doing, yeah, four adaptations. So Wonderful World of Henry Sugar on the 27th, then The Swan on the 28th, The Rat Catcher on the 29th, and Poison on the 30th. 
I must say I'm kind of weirded out by the fact that they didn't just make it an anthology movie. Kind of like and Battle just, of Buster Scrooge. Yeah, just yeah, put just, all four yeah. together in one film instead because now they go release these four. They're all about, I think, about like 35 minutes or something like that. It would be a grindhouse version that you can kind of like when play all the function on the... Yeah, 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 yeah. It just seems like a weird. I mean, I suppose it's you know it's an example of we're on a streamer. Perhaps they're just trying to stagger. Yeah, we can deliver this in any way we want, and I kind of I guess maybe they've done some kind of number crunching for well we can have four Wes Anderson shorts. Drop all in one go anymore. Even that old Netflix model is that they still do they that? still Netflix still do it. Netflix still do it. I think they may have recently experimented. Maybe with some that drops once a week because in terms of their original, so they have things like, well, like when Star Trek Discovery was airing on Netflix, it would be once a week, but that's because it wasn't a Netflix thing. It was like just something they were showing. But for things that are Netflix originals, it has always been a very firm rule that they're like, no, we drop this all at once and that's it. Although I believe they may be now experimenting with the once a week drop mm. because basically everyone else has gone back to that. Yeah. But also you have nothing coming down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like for so long, they were pumping so much money into content that they had so much that it would just be like, yeah, we're dropping a whole series every single week. Whereas now, because of money, the pandemic, Changing and now yeah. writers and actor strikes, they're going to really need to stretch whatever they've got out. Like, One um, thing that has got to be, you know, not a victim, I suppose, it's like as a resurgent is physical media has sort of like had, you know, had its head off the chopping block finally. For yeah. the first time in a long time where it's like they're looking back to see that actually this is always a cash cow for us. People maybe want to invest in kind of like having it. Even Disney Company have started putting 4Ks out of their classic titles. Yeah. Is, I think people do fun. because now they're like, you can't rely on these streaming catalogs to like st- keep the stuff on yeah, there yeah. you just can't rely on it and now it's like when you know we got into a thing where they're just suddenly companies like yeah we're getting rid of this and like deleting it and right off like all the physical media heads were like let me introduce you to physical media you know it's like all these young kids who just got used to streaming I, <laughs> I just saw um, I just saw Ryan Johnson uh, director of The Last Jedi um, oh, wait, the station <laughs> um, put uh, a tweet up because his new show Poker Face uh, which obviously aired on Peacock in America uh, is available <laughs> on uh, Paul Looks Bewildered yeah, yeah no, Peacock is like, Look, uh, I, I Pluto right <laughs> but, um, Peacock it aired on aired on now slash Sky here, um, and that has just been released on Blu-ray. And Ryan Johnson was like, "Oh, he's obviously a big physical media guy because he's like, oh, for all my physical media heads out there, right here, if I could face on Blu-ray." So there you go. I, I mean, what's this bollocks that they, that they release stuff to streaming first? Like they do a streaming premiere, and then like you can't actually buy it physically for yeah. like a month. You'd think it'd be the way around. It's like, yeah, you know, sell them on the physical thing that you could, you know, yeah, first, and then. You know, if you want to put it on the move or whatever. That's the thing, you should make it. So I, I carry like, my Blu-ray player around like a boombox. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so they should make it. They should turn things again. So they're like Blu-ray exclusive. Like, so like uh, when... 
in the 90s, all the soaps did special video VHS specials. Yes. They were like too hot for TV. Yes. So remember they yeah. did I the remember first... Brookside 18 rated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brookside The Lost Weekend, which was like 18, <laughs> 18 rated. And it had Paul Usher on the front with a gun. Like, yeah, and it was just like, it was like this, we won't ever. That was, was like, that was our Snyder cut. It was, it was like literally, it was like the producer of Brooks, so he was like, Crusty, go, oh, they won't ever let us roll that again. Like, it was like, literally, we've got another normal program resumed on Monday after the bloodbath. Like, it's like some reason the background mopping up the blood, you just sort of like, you know, what happened? We can't talk about it. You have to go to your local video store to find out more. Exactly, well, they should go back <laughs> to that. Side video nasty. Yeah, yeah, they should go back to that and be like, right, you have to come here first, then, like, uh, you can yeah, go there. Lost Weekend is that like, Billy Wilder wrote it. Like, yeah, it's just... <laughs> but let's talk about Star Trek Prodigy, season one, part two, originally aired between the 27th of October 2022 and the 29th of December 2022, so we are back with our hot takes. Removed from circulation on oh, um, the 26th of December 2022. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't have been around that long at the end of the day before, before they got rid of it. Now, Captain, incoming message. Hey there, Spotlight, is Liam again coming in to interrupt this podcast. I hope you're enjoying it so far. I hope the sound quality isn't annoying you too much. At the beginning, I said I wouldn't be recording the opening again. I wasn't lying, but I do need to record something because since recording the opening, it was recorded after the initial recording of the episode, there has been another huge development in the world of Star Trek Prodigy, and that is that it has been saved by Netflix. So not only will the entirety of season one be available from Netflix, but also season two once it's finished and ready to go and Netflix are ready to put it out. So while that is an amazing win for all Star Trek fans out there and we count ourselves amongst them as being very, very happy of that result, uh, it does mean that lots and lots and lots of things discussed in this episode no longer really apply. However, we wanted to celebrate Star Trek publishing. We still want to do that. We still love this show. And I still think that a lot of the stuff said is valuable and important because Star Trek Prodigy should have never even come close to cancellation in the first place and it should have never been removed off Paramount Plus's stream service. So while I will be cutting back some discussion, I'm still going to leave a lot of stuff in there because I still think it needs to be said. We look forward to discussing season two of the show on this podcast at some point in the future. But until then, back to the show. But here we start again with episode 11, Asylum, which kind of, you know, does reintroduce us to the concept in a way by having the protostar arrive at a remote Starfleet communication station. And it kind of allows, because we're getting to meet all of the main cast again through the eyes of the guy who's manning that uh, communication station on their own. He, he kind of like scanning everyone and kind of we get to issue and also we get to find out things about the characters that they didn't even know themselves because of the fact that, you know, someone from Starfleet is finally scanning them and going, right, okay, it's, it's this, it's this. Straight away, I was like, this is a really good introduction back 
You just get an easy way of reminding you of all who the characters are, of the situations, and at the same time learning a bit more about them. Yeah, it's good because it doesn't, I mean, you could have just hit the ground running. There was enough set up in the end of that mm. season, uh, mid-season finale to kind of go, we're going to go straight at you, start with an action sequence. But I like that there's actually a moment for them to kind of digest the, the fallout. You know, where the um, character that's the kind of glowing or what they called again? Zero. Zero is like, you know, guilty for like <laughs> what they've done. Causing Gwyn to lose her memory. Yeah. Which yeah. I'm really because glad now, they sorted that out fast. No, indeed. Well, that's, yeah. what, that's what I was going to say about this first episode. So the thing I love yeah. about this season in general is that A, it managed to very quickly address a bunch of the like tiny quibbles I had about the last two episodes of the first half of the season, which was, you know, it set up this whole thing about the weapon, and, and I think I said in the podcast when we were last talking about it, like, okay, so so why does the weapon have to be in the protostore? Why why can't they just uh, attack Starfleet a different way? And and so they threw me right into it. I loved that it begins with a mission that, that channels the voyage home with them relocating a space whale to, to its home which is like a lovely little like bit of fan service without being fan service it's like oh it begins with them saving a whale and uh, it's a really cute little sequence but then they set up all these little uh arcs that are going to play over the whole season with the characters Dar being an augment and Gwyn wondering about her place with the account, but also having her memory taken away by Zero and they also have to address the weapon so that first episode ends with the outpost being completely destroyed by the weapon so it's a perfect demonstration of where the season is going at the end you know on a much grander scale but it they basically educate and re- reorient the audience in that one episode really clearly. And then at the end of that episode, Gwyn gets her memories back. And so you're right, they don't mess around and they don't string anything out. It shows a lot of discipline to be like, actually, we're going to address all of these notes very quickly. And then one of the things I really liked about the whole first half of that season was they did something similarly intelligent to the way that they started the first season, which is in the first season, the big question was, well, why don't they just go straight to Starfleet once they're on the Pro Star? And they came up with really believable, credible reasons why Dahl would mistrust Starfleet or why he wouldn't want to go to Starfleet. And then the big question mark on this one is like, when are they going to learn that they have like essentially a massive weapon on their ship? And what, what, how do we keep them on the Pro Star when what they should do is just not be in the protostar. Like, how do we explain that, like, how do we get them to a place where they might be in a position to, to jeopardize the safety of the Federation without making them be, like, bad guys? Like, with, with making them complicit in, yeah. in, in the fallout. And, and the series is really smart because they, they have them become aware of the weapon, they have them try to mend the weapon, and then they try to hide the protostar and find another ship. And then they are forced to get back on the protostar and then they have to repair the protostar. And so they just keep trying to do the right thing all the way mm-hmm. through. And the show's smart enough to not be like, well, these guys are responsible for everything that happens with that weapon. They're, they're genuinely trying to head that weapon off of the past and to protect Starfleet at all costs, which is really great because then the, 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 the parallel plot in that season is... Admiral Janeway aboard the Dauntless, who thinks that they have kidnapped Chakotay along with the Protostar and is now hunting them down. So it's a perfect like the use of their of their goals being completely at cross purposes with each other. And you know, it, it, it's building to a finale in which it doesn't pull any punches. 
and and they get you there whilst never once losing sight of like what what would a rational person try to do in that instance and then you know on top of all of that the hidden secret as to why hologram Janeway is 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 maybe pushing them in the wrong direction at that times uh, I, I watched the season again just before this podcast over the weekend uh, it was a very very digestible show in like basically two days. And I was just reminded of like, oh wow, everything that, that plays out at the end is really, really well set up in that first episode. It's, it's a very good job. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, because like you say, I remember when we reviewed the last, or well, the first half of this season, yeah. the one of the few things we did have close out was in the two-part mid-season finale, even though it was really good and lots of really good stuff in it. Um, there was a few things that we were like, oh yeah, like that doesn't quite work. And I think one of the ones for me was the like the introduction of Gwyn's uh, amnesia because whenever I, whenever I see amnesia plotline in um kind of any show, I just think Terry Bauer and Tony like yeah. just collapsing and then just having amnesia for the rest of the season. And um, <laughs> and basically with this, I was so glad that they just went, nah, we'll, we'll sort that out straight away. Don't worry about that. It's not going to be a major thing that's kind of, you know, going to play out over the season. And well, it's like inverted, isn't it, the series? It's, the first one gets them to Starfleet and then it's like, we need to get away from Starfleet yeah. in the second half yeah. of it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful kind of like, you know, ellipsis here. We've got, um, and the, I love that sort of the Janeway sort of B plot of them being chased as, as that kind of like mm. uh, constant kind of threat that they're just being hounded. It's just, you know, so you, they might be on their like submissions per episode, but there's still this kind of like linking thing that they're just getting ever closer. Yeah, and I think the continuing cutting back to Admiral Jane, the real Jane, yeah, who's yeah. now like older than we would have seen her before, it really differentiates between her and the hologram Jane mm. we've come to know and love because yeah. actually Kate Mulgrew is very good at playing them as very two different very characters. Yeah. Because Admiral Janeway is older, more grizzled, a little bit more cynical, yeah. uh, whereas the hologrammatic Janeway is like the perfect version of Janeway. Because yeah. they do the much more kind of optimistic, kind of classical Starfleet version, I suppose. Yeah. And well, we didn't really get to see much on Voyager because she's yes. like, yeah, like, yeah. You know, trying to survive the whole thing, aren't they? She's having to make these huge moral choices. It's like the Janeway that sort of like could, you know, be in a simulator, just be hopeful and bring up the, the cadets. Yeah, it's like the yeah. Janeway, it's so like a very Voyager pilot Janeway, basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 that lovely moment at the, the first time you see Admiral Janeway in this season when she's at the replicator getting uh, tea black as opposed to her regular iconic coffee black yes because her doctor is now being giving giving orders and she's like I want a second opinion but like <laughs> she's the grizzled Janeway but yeah. also I love that they set her up as having more demons because it makes her the perfect antagonist for the protostar because Chakotay as far as she's aware it has been kidnapped aboard mm. the, and so if you were to imagine that she's got she's had these these six or so years aboard Voyager in which all she ever thought about was getting her crew home and then her, one of her closest crew members from that mission that they miraculously managed to get home mm. then went missing you know there's this great sort of like not again never again kind of attitude that's kind of making her more mm. unhinged 
yeah. and more ruthless as they're chasing them. And it's it's a really nice thing. There's that great moment where hologram Janeway is like, oh, so you're you're being chased by me? Good luck with that. It's a it's a really nice moment of her hyping herself up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and talking of uh, Chakotay, uh, if anyone knows Robert Beltran's uh, politics, he deserves to be kidding. Um, but you mentioned the second episode of this uh, second half of the season Let's Sleep in Borg's Lie which I think is a really good just Borg episode because I think they this is one of these things where because the animation in Star Trek Apology, I do, I do think is really excellent for mm. for a kids show. Mm. Uh, it's really well designed, and I think this episode really demonstrates that. Ham Borg in animation, mm. it, it genuinely that episode just looks really. The cool. production design won an Emmy last year. Oh really? And yes, it was it was nominated for best uh, for outstanding animated series. Lost the City of Ghosts, which also very very much deserved yeah. it. But production design picked up the Emmy for that very reason. Yes. Yeah, well, very good show. well, well deserved. I think the design is just really excellent, and that Borg episode. I don't believe Borg have been in animation before, apart from maybe Lower Decks. Yeah, they've been in Lower Decks. Lower Decks, they were popped yeah. in, but I mean, it was a simulation, wasn't it? Where he has to, like you know do part of his mission in a record time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. Like Lower Decks, you know, for whatever qualities it has. The animation is very kind of, you know, Rick and Morty-esque yes. kind of like feel. Whereas this, I was like, is kind of a serious Borg take. And it's kind of done in that kind of more horror movie-esque style. Yeah, I love and that one. It looks really cool. That Borg that's more of a creature-looking alien. That's yeah. Slightly, but it's like, I've never seen a Borg that looks like that. Yeah. Well, it had cool. a kind of alien, aliens-esque vibe, didn't yeah. it, that episode? Yeah. yeah. The Borg as an antagonist, I mean, now that we've seen the third season of Picard, obviously there's been a parallel Borg to the Borg from Picard season two, which were Borg from an alternate reality that then became like a good Borg. And now we've brought back Alice Krieger's Borg from, uh, you know, um, basically first, first contact, but also the timeline of like yeah. best of both worlds. Mm. And, and then uh, the, the cube I believe that the prototype interacts with is connected to the cubes that interacted with Voyager in the Delta Quadrant. So it's like, What's fascinating about the Borg for me is that I think now that they showed up again in Picard season three, they are at risk of becoming truly like the Daleks of Voyager in that you can overuse them. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so now how many Borg queens are there and how many times have the Borg been annihilated once and for all? And then they always come back like the Daleks, but like the Daleks, it's all about how well you use them and how Mm. regularly you you, you use them. So I was very delighted when Let Sleeping Borg Lie happens because it's one cube disconnected from everything else and it's shut down and it, they managed to, because it's such a simple, small story, just like reclaim the Borg as genuinely threatening mm. and genuinely mm. eerie in the same way that I felt when you first see that Borg cube show up in, I think it's Q-Who. Yeah, it reminded me of the episode of Enterprise with the Borg, which is really excellent. The Borg episode of Enterprise is really really strong and like that very much utilizes them like it's like far more like horror movie villains mm. and that's I, I kind of think that's a cool way to rather than going like the big mythic kind of borg status that they can't hold in something like picard i actually feel they kind of work better as this kind of you know something in the darkness, they're you know, to leap out at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, I like that. I they like, walk, they lumber towards you. Yeah. yeah. I liked, I, I did enjoy the kind of 
this version of the scene of the ball kind of where they're just not quite there. There's something more eerie about them because they're mm. kind of, they've been defeated, but like, they're still dangerous. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. whole bit on Bacardi season one where it says like, you know, how many days it's like a, an assimilation accident happened. Oh, yes. like in the board yeah. reclamation, you know, people who work there to like asset strip the, the cube. I also <laughs> think that they, they did something very smart, which is that if you're going to bring back like a real legacy species from mm-hmm. Star Trek and something, you should have a new take on that material. And I think that the thing I love about that episode is that it's a great use of the Borg through the character of Zero, mm-hmm. because it's the first time a creature that belonged to a collective interfaces with the most famous Star Trek collective, which is, you know, like when, when Zero uh, is plugged into the Thinkulova, um, it's actually really cool and eerie to be like, oh, this is what the collective looked like when you go inside that hive mind. Mm-hmm. And so actually having them try to seduce Zero into yeah. their thrall is, is, and it builds that really lovely performance by Zero when Zero's like, I know, I will resist. It was a lovely twist on Resistance is Futile, it's him actually. Yeah, it's, yeah it's Zero is simulated actually yeah. quite a scary moment, like, especially yeah. for kids. I think it's that thing whenever, because um, I think when I was a kid, that idea of seeing someone you thought as a good guy mm-hmm. getting turned was quite a scary idea. Yeah. This is this is baby's first Borg. So like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, actually how do you introduce the Borg as a concept? So that's like it's like it's it's again it's sort of giving a new slant mm-hmm. but you could yes. be a first introduction to that. And it was still fun to have like the basis. Know, there's, there's a good line which is like a really good sort of gifable moment of, of Quinn be like, no one is getting assimilated. They were, they were all arguing as to who should plug themselves in to to, to, yeah. to, to get the information because they're there to get information on this weapon because they think that they can defuse it or or take it apart. And and I think the other thing that, that makes the book really threatening in this episode specifically is because it's all new characters who've never interacted with the book before. Exactly. Who yeah, don't yeah. know how dangerous they are. Not only not interacting, but won't have even heard of them. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the thing, they're so disconnected. But it still managed to be great because you get to see how terrified hologram Janeway is of them. Yeah. So it's a really nice way to sort of hype them up at the same time as introduce them like they're new. Like Janeway yeah. being like, no, trust me, you do not want to go on that board cube. Well, and also, I tend to think, you mentioned the Daleks, and I tend to think with species like this, where they've been overused as, like, the big bats, mm. the best way to actually utilise them becomes just doing a really decent one-off episode. Yeah. Well, they're not the big bats, it's just a one-off story, like recently on Dot 2, they did Eve of the Daleks. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is a fantastic episode, one of the best Jodie Worker episodes. Yeah. And it's just a completely one-off, self-contained, Could be couple of Daleks. Shib- Shibber's most effective yeah, well. yeah, yeah, and I kind of think this is similar yeah. in doing that. So I would, yeah. I would definitely agree. I'm really waiting cool. for the species eight four seven two, like uh, in season two of this. Yeah, come on, bring them back, <laughs> cowards. <laughs> species eight four seven two. Get get Kate Mulgrew to channel like Les around eight four seven two. Just like yeah. I you, like she can have you know very very but dramatic think, connections to other species as well. I think it's one of those things where like you know revisiting now. I mean, it looked great in the night when I was watching TV but like, I imagine revisiting that that fully CGI kind of villain in the, in that with today's eyes might not look so good so just to see it kind of reduce afresh with like a new design might be cool mm. well yeah especially this kind of animation yeah that's what I'm thinking yeah, 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 yeah exactly yeah so I mean because it's one of these things where Prodigy 
is one of those shows where it has these single great single episodes like mm-hmm. Let's Sleep in Balls Lies but as it goes along it builds more and more and more to conclusion mm-hmm. like you know once you get into kind of the second half mm-hmm. it's really especially like the last three episodes it's really building towards the big finale but at the same time they still manage to have I think probably balance it really nicely in terms of having these singular episodes but there's still lots of main arc stuff going yeah, on yeah I mean like you know you mentioned the latter half of the season we'll, we'll get to it but I love that it's a show that can take a pause every now and again like take a breath with its characters like an episode of like Preludes where, where they're basically yeah. fixing the, pro, the, the pro star and swapping stories and it's like an excuse for a few like flashback flashback, flashback origin stories like, which, were, which you know like a, the, the Jack and Bob one especially is incredibly funny and charming yes it's, I, I think, think that's yeah, the, really. the best one of, the, of those kind yeah. of little flashes because worth the price of admission yeah. I think sometimes these kind of episodes where they go like oh let's pause everything and show you like what happened before sometimes they can be a bit like <laughs> it has that, that one moment where Rock Tark tells the story and then Gwyn's like so that's why you hate fighting it just reminds me of that moment in Team America so, that's why you hate actors <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah we got it it is a little bit yeah. because they, they do this in a lot of shows so they have an episode where it goes back they did Tortured where they did yeah, which isn't very good like <laughs> you know, that, that episode it does like yeah where they go back and show the church yeah. to the cannon. they did it on The Shield they did an episode of The Shield which is per- obviously the obviously, fucking Shield yeah. Yeah. so it's, it's still decent but it is one of those ones where you do go it's slightly hard to see why it's even though it's perfectly well written active piece of television it's hard to see why it's completely necessary to go back and show why, how the barn started and how the strike team came together. I think the thing about that Preludes episode, though, is that it's, it's shoehorning a very relevant flashback, which is the explanation of what happened to the Divinus people. Yes. Which is yes, a genuinely yes, necessary yes, That is impo- important, especially like considering where he goes. Character. Yeah, kind of sandwiched between all these other flashbacks. But then there's, like, I mean, it still has these lovely little grace moments that, like, show you just how much detail there is in this show towards not fan service but just like very very lovely pieces of of of, of canon accuracy that, that that will go over most children's heads but like when you see zero's flashback of being part of the medusan collective and then being kidnapped um the ship that the medusans are flying out of is the same model as the medusan ship from the classic original series which is the first ever instance of a medusan in star trek in mm-hmm. the kirk era and so like like little things like that these little tiny things that and like even just the fact that the the aliens that kidnap zero have the like weird cellophane strip like visors over their eyes that the characters have to wear in that episode yeah. because if you look at a, upon a medusan you go mad yeah. and so like all that stuff is like just right baked in there just perfectly yeah and I do agree that I, I kind of think with that one not only is the uh, Diviner flashback important to the overall story but I think the Jack and Park story is kind of worth the price of admission yeah, alone in terms of because it's like you go oh he's a true hero but also like, just, yeah, just, well, just the idea that the one big part of his character his one modus operandi is that he refers to himself <laughs> yeah. in the third person oh great that 
Jacob can do. But did you discover that it's not part of his heritage or his people or his his culture, but just the fact it's that just destroyed he keeps asking him to say his name while he's being forced to repair the ship because everyone else is asleep and it drives him slowly mad yeah. to the point that now he's conditioned to say Jankum Pope before he says anything. It's a great, it's a good That's funny. Yeah, it's funny. That was a funny joke. Mm-hmm. It felt like those episodes could have easily been um, shorts that kind of you know, would be released between the two shows. Sure. Short tracks, yeah, yeah. kind of thing, but it's a little heavy. If we talk about the audience here, it may be just a little heavy to go all diviner, you know, genocide as the focus of an episode mm. about the lightness of you know being forced to fight other animals. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I meant about how how it's nice that they they they're quite judicious in how they in how they structured their show because they have these episodes of very like driving plot mechanics. And then they'll take a breather and allow for a little bit of a, of a reprieve. And and so even the episode, I mean, I it's kind, I kind of feel like it's the penultimate episode, but it's the it's the episode before the final two parter on the hollow deck. You know, like yeah. even that episode, even though that episode ends on a very very seismic twist, that episode feels like uh, a bottle episode in itself as well. Yeah. So talking about a couple of the other, because I think you know we'll talk about the overall arcs and how they all come together more towards the end but talk about a few more of the individual episodes as we go through because this is I mean this I would say balances the serial elements with the singular episodes I would say probably the best of any of the new Star Trek shows because I love Picard season 3 but that is a a, like a 10 hour movie like Mm -hmm. a Star Trek movie like and it's excellent but it's like you wouldn't go like... And I can pick out episodes from it because they were so strong, but it isn't because that episode has its own shape, particularly. Like, whereas with Prodigy, like, you actually have individual episodes and you go, yeah, remember that episode, remember that episode, but every single episode is building towards the larger story. So the third episode, All the World's Stage, is a really interesting kind of comedic episode, I would say, where, but also kind of quite, um, quite a commentary on the larger kind of like Starfleet kind of mission and stuff like that, is when they come across a species who call themselves the Enterprisians. The Enterprisians. Who basically revere and like imitate Starfleet, essentially. And it's meant to be, I actually say it's meant to be essentially a sort of sequel to an original series episode called Obsession from season two. Um, because the there's a character introduced in that who's meant to be the person who crashed on this ship in and it's that shuttle the that's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um that like is the reason they're all kind of, you know, in awe of stuff that have kind of built this entire society over China. It's all really weird, it's all not quite right. It's kind of like a weird, kind of like Swedish version of Starfleet. Whoa, 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 we come in peace. Stand down, Sulu. Stand down. It's a Starflight landing party. They've finally arrived. I am James T. This is Sulu. Starflight. Uh. Jacob knew this was a bad idea. Excuse us a second. Jay I thought we were supposed to keep our ship away from Starfleet. So why am I looking at them? That's impossible. While Captains James T. Kirk and Hikaru Sulu are Starfleet legends, no Federation ship's been near this sector in over a hundred years, and there's no record of first contact. 
They're not Starfleet. Because it kind of allows them to do a sort of commentary on the effects of Starfleet interference, but also car commentary on fans. Yeah, this this episode was written by the same writer as Kobayashi from the the, the, the first half of the season. Yeah, that makes sense. Aaron Walkie. And so um, he is an uh, an unabashed fan, and someone actually I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, when I've been in Burbank. He's a really uh, nice guy, and he he had coffee with me a couple of times, and, and we've had some really great conversations about Star Trek and about animation in general, and he's very passionate about what he does but also um, as with these two episodes I mean he, he's, a, he's, he's a writer across the whole season he worked on Wizards of Arcadia and Child Hunters and uh, things like that but he's definitely the one who clearly every single season it's like he gets the big fan episode but um, he's always done so with a, a lot of humour I think and, and, and a knowingness and a wink which I think is what makes it work and it's almost like you know how we talk about like the, the the pros and cons of fan service all the time, you know, like uh, you know now everything has become content, everything has become IP. We've got like a show like Ahsoka right now, where like basically the entire premise of the whole thing, all the stakes, all the emotional stakes that we're supposed to care about, are based upon whether or not we have watched another show or like six seasons of another show. Mm-hmm. Characters were all two shows of, even. Yes, characters oh, yeah. walking in and out of frame that are supposed to be incredibly important that go right over my head things like that, and it's like. When you are dealing with an IP as, as as huge and 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 convoluted as Star Trek, and also it means a lot to many people, many different things to many different people, being able to sum up the spirit of that property and therefore the spirit of its fandom is quite a trick. And I think he, he achieves it quite beautifully in that episode. I think it's actually even an even better use of fan service than Kobayashi, I think. Yeah, uh, the interesting thing about his episodes, I kind of think, he obviously, like you say, he's obviously someone who contributes uh, all the way through. But those specific episodes that where he gets sole writing credit, I kind of feel like both of those episodes could be adapted into lower decks, like quite easily. Like to, I think they both love, but obviously. I think they you could certainly have imagined Mariner trying to do the Kobayashi. Yeah, well, or Boiler. They probably did. They did. Yeah, they did like a version, but I mean specifically in terms of in that episode, Dahl meeting all of the kind of old Starfleet characters. All the you can imagine yeah. Boiler doing that, but the difference is to Dahl, those characters don't mean anything. Dahl isn't sitting in reverence mm. over Spock. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that, whereas Boimler would be, it would be a different experience. And this is what I mean. I think both and the kind of the uh, the Enterprisians, they're the kind of species you can imagine the Ceratos coming across and doing an episode on and kind of like doing it and playing it more for laughs. And whereas this is kind of like a different take and kind of, you know, with this just a slightly more poignant edge. But I find that interesting just because of the fact that they are both episodes clearly written by someone who is a big fan of the lore mm. of this show, which is what Lower Decks plays into, if you see what I, I mean. think it also has... Um, I, I love that you mentioned that Lower Decks is about characters who are in awe of these latest characters. Yes. And I think that's what makes this episode work, is that the only reason to have this extended gag of this is a culture that has appropriated you know, the animals of Star Trek through this red shirt, is that, like, it doesn't work unless there's a true character story reason for it to happen. And they've got that, which is that the 
crew of the protostar are pretending to be Starfleet as well. They're wearing the uniforms and they feel imposter syndrome setting in as well. Dahl specifically feels like he's not really Starfleet and that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that there's no chance they have actually ever fully realising that dream. So the Enterprises are thematically uh, appropriate for that. And it, it makes it a more poignant episode because it's about okay, well, Starfleet is an ideal, and even these people in dress-up, if they have the right values and they've, they've learned the right lessons, can live up to the spirit of Star Trek. It's a great message because, uh, you know, in science fiction and Trek and Star Wars and all these things, it can be, be threatening to be a, a gatekeeping community. Uh, you know, there's lots of silos. And, you know, it, it, I think the, the episode is really waving the flag for not being a gatekeeper of Star Trek. It's like, hey, anyone can be into Star Trek and, everyone, and anyone can take something from Star Trek. It doesn't matter if you uh, uh, do the Vulcan salute with the wrong fingers, as long as you're, 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 your heart's in the right place. Yeah. I also love that they redeem a red shirt. I love that it's yeah. a, the, the whole plot was set in motion by a red shirt crashing on a planet, and he actually ended up positively influencing the society. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a rare thing, given I know they've seen what those red shirts are capable of. Bigotry on the bridge. He still died horribly of lithium poisoning, but he still had a. He left a mark on the world. You should bring that guy back in season two of Prodigy, be like for a full redemption arc. For me, yeah, I, I do have a little issue with this episode. I don't care for the William Shatner voice mm. take because I just felt that that felt like quite a cheap shot. Perhaps oh. it's a little family guy, but... Yeah. yeah, but I think that's the thing. It's just like that, yeah, just the, the, the off-color imitated voice thing. It just felt like that was... A, I see. I just because we 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 had agreed on the show that like Shatner is the bomb. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, like, I agree. With and I don't know. I just feel like Star Trek taking the piss out of William Shatner. Like it doesn't. Do right. It's one of those things. Is I feel it, like it's more like a loving trip. That's the thing. That was a, 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 a it's difficult, isn't it? I think but it went on and on. Yeah, I think it's difficult now to kind of pick apart sometimes when it is a kind of like yeah, a, a sort of like you say a loving trip, or whether it is a piss take. Like, you know, it was like, that combined with the fighting at the same time with the Gorn thing? So like yeah, because they, re- they like reenact. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. moves. You know, it would have been fun to see that just employed in actually like a, a fight that was like, and then that's, that's their moves they bring out. Right, right. But I see what you mean. I did love the conceit of when they're watching essentially the school play version of the story that the, the prisons are putting on for them. I love that they built a set kind of like out of plywood and like very rough version of the set which is what the classic set would have been, yeah. would have been. Yes. like it's actually like well, quite well, perfect <laughs> yeah 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 easy yeah it's hard to say and I think I think probably a lot of that is added to the fact that in all honesty it feels like the Star Trek universe as it is now is trying to distance itself from Shatner a bit I would say and I can understand that in terms of because you know Shatner he's got he's got small ideas these days like sometimes so he can get it but at the same time it is that thing of you know like you said we we love Shatner's Kirk on the show and and his performance as Kirk I do find it a shame especially now there's two animated shows 
that they haven't taken the opportunity to bring him back because in animated form you could do it. He mm. he he could do it. He but could also even in live action you can do pretty much anything. There's like there's yeah, like yeah, 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 pretty yeah, flexible. Yeah, you could do. Um, I mean, these days with like you know, if you see the Mandalorian and they bring back like you know Mark Hamill and stuff like that. So with, with animation, you can euphify someone's voice now so. with the the power of yeah. computers. <laughs> yeah, I think you he don't does. speak his name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's, um, you know, just doesn't... He's not interested, really. In you don't think so? You don't, you don't think if they turn around to Bill... want to be the star. Like, I think he'd right. Be, yeah, right, I think right, the right. thing is, he, he wouldn't come in for, like, the Walter Koenig thing of, like, I am now Pavel's grandson, president of the United Federation of Planets, doing this message. Yeah. You just feel like, why would I do that? Like, <laughs> what would be the point? He push pieced you off I absolutely love for Shan to come back in Lower Decks only if he shows up in the same style as the original animated series Kirk. Like, with the dead eyes. Basically, like, like <laughs> walking like a, I mean, a that keystone car. You know, yeah, yeah, that'd be incredible. I, I do actually That's like the that crossover that. episode yeah. I want to see. I would need that 70s you know, guitar swinging into action as well. Like, yeah, just like, yeah. I, I, would, I would enjoy that. I would enjoy that, definitely. Um, it's funny, I, Preludes follows up straight away with Ghost in the Machine, which is a kind of another sort of anthology episode because it's the holodeck episode and they're all doing their own little holodeck fancy so you get Zero doing a detective kind of yeah. noir yeah. that's where you get Jankum having a street fighting storyline Murph in the jazz club yeah, uh, Dahl in a kind of pirate storyline and Rock the virtual pet a- again it's another kind of uh, piecemeal story with kind of all these different elements and um, I actually think the holodeck one works really well because oh, like, some holodeck episodes don't uh, work but I think again this is sort of like the power of animation mm-hmm. like with animation you can do like a ton of different holodeck stuff you can take full advantage of a holodeck in one episode the moment where it goes into black and white suddenly I was like okay yes. I'm really vibing with this episode and it's also no. like I said with the Borg when you have something that's like uh, a, basically a trek trope which is a holodeck episode you've got mm-hmm. to have something new to bring to the table and I love that they basically turned it into well it's the holodeck as an escape room they, they have to look for clues and figure out how to get out of each room and then it truly leads mm. to another room. And so it was actually quite a nice modernization of the whole thing. It's right. like, okay, yeah. we're going to get through there and it's about Zero's love of mystery. But obviously that turns out to be like the whole point. But it's really, really fun. I, I think the trouble with this is that I'm, um, I had watched the Lower Deck season three I think it was prior to this. Yes. And there was just sort of less echoes of like things they'd done in Lower Decks and then it was sort of done again. Yeah. And I think there was the episode where they're trying to get to the engine room, they go through the holodeck. And it was just yes. totally and kind of visually quite similar to some of the stuff we were saying here. Mm-hmm. And just I think just for virtually they saw them so close to each other, this felt like the lesser of the two. But it was it was probably on its own, it's fun. it's much better. I guess I, think, I don't have I mean, that problem because I've not watched Lower Decks. Nothing against Lower Decks. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And I think I don't so I guess have I've that been problem. Having to have that, cons- you know, because I prefer Prodigy to Lower Decks. <laughs> like, like, so it's that thing of going like, yeah, I suppose it depends. That that is interesting. I think I think it's natural. And actually, the episode afterwards, Mind Walk, oh, which is, my is, is a body swap episode. And there's a body swappy style and episode in season world. three of Lower Decks. And Strange New Worlds. Strange New Worlds as well. Season, yeah. But I think, specifically with Lower Decks and Prodigy, I think there is naturally a crossover because I think when you're dealing with the same world hmm. in animation at the same time, 
I think naturally there are going to be certain things that you go, oh, we can do this in animation. Well, yeah, like, like yeah. the holiday. The I think it should be some kind of like cross. Yeah, Summit. somebody personally running between different writing rooms and just saying, we've just bagged the body swap one. <laughs> Two seasons clear on everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wait till next year when we have the two Pong Fire episodes. I don't think you're right, actually. Okay. They should be like, because a lot of like uh, Marvel, for instance, they do, they used to do these like Marvel summits where they all come together and they all kind of yeah. cross line and talk their different ideas for the different films and TV shows and stuff. And surely they should do a Star Trek summit where Alex Kurtzman sits everyone down mm. from all the different writers and Akiva's there as well and they go like, right, okay, so, you know, you'll go, what are your ideas for yeah. this? You would do so, that. Well, we had the idea of like, our oh, superheroes beating the shit out of each other but nobody gets hurt for maybe 50 minutes. Yeah. Oh, we were doing that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel less concerned about that because Trek is so full of uh, stock episodes Types. I mean, even in that first season of Prodigy, there's Murder Planet two part. Like, and, and like, and like yeah. you know, one thing yeah. Star Trek has done from the beginning of time is Murder Planet episodes. Yeah, it's a variation. Like, Kobayashi yeah. is another holo uh, deck episode. Uh, but but also like you got to remember, we all grew up in the nineties and nineties when there was Star Trek: Next Generation. Deep Space Nine and Voyager, sometimes all on the same day, back to back, and like Luxana Troy shows up in all of them. <laughs> and that, so it's like, like there are so many episodes in yeah. each of those seasons that were carbon copies of each other. There's always an episode where everyone gets infected by something that makes them want to fuck each other. There's always an episode where the body's wrong. There's a murder planet episode. There's there's like so so these things happen all the time and during the Berman era it was just relentless like you you couldn't tell one season from the other whereas the thing that you were saying about like you prefer Prodigy I think the thing about Prodigy is that like I find all of those episodes refreshing because Prodigy as I said in the last uh, episode we talked about it nails that tone that is like Mm. my Trek tone slightly more childlike and slightly more curious and more takes just takes that a little bit more seriously despite the fact that they're kids you know they take it more seriously than the adults and I think also the difference to me is that, you know, highlighted by those two episodes by Aaron that we were talking about yeah. in terms of you could totally see those episodes done in Lower Decks, yeah. thing, but they would be different because the characters themselves come from different points of view. Yeah. And I kind of feel that same in terms of because Prodigy, I think always, I think it's very clever in terms of they came up with characters that didn't really know anything about Starfleet and are learning about Starfleet as they go along. And I think the reason they chose to do that is not only that it's more interesting in terms of it gives you a different perspective, but also the idea of this, of course, and one of the reasons why it's so sad that it potentially is not going to be a thing anymore is because it will have been designed to introduce kids to Star Trek. You know, we were saying Baby's first, yeah, Baby's first Star Trek. And that's the idea. You're meant to be learning along the characters, all these kind of classical wow. uh, Star Trek concepts. Yeah. Like, I think, like you say, like the murder plan, the holodeck Every episode, the body swap. Yeah. Exactly. It's going like, it's introducing you to those new concepts. And the thing that makes it different for an old audience is the fact that these characters are getting newly introduced these faces a new experience to them rather than the Starfleet old hands mm-hmm. and the difference for kind of you know uh, the show is that the fact that these characters meet them for the first time mm-hmm. so for people who don't know anything about Star Trek they're learning along the characters 
and that makes it a very different experience from lower decks where all the characters are like kind of like all the tanks are constantly referential yeah because they're all they, they are literally as if actual Star Trek yeah. nerds were somehow with Starfleet but also sometimes sometimes those scripts and I see trailers for and I've seen the odd episode of Lower Decks but like a lot of modern Trek feels like the writers have had like two Red Bulls and have been let loose on the Wikipedia page you know like okay like so 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 I can say this line now and I, I'll find this character that refers to this line whereas you're right like when when Prodigy encounters things everything serves the story I like the fact that even with something which is the most like fan servicey episodes, at least Prodigy has like made a deal with itself. It seems that like we put all the fan, the biggest fans of us into one episode in a season, and then the rest of it, it's very focused. You mm-hmm. know, like I mean, and like an, an episode like Mindwalk, you know, which is you know for some reason the the third to last episode of each season is my favorite because I loved uh, Time Walk because yeah, well, yeah. I was uh, just an absolute bang and time travel episode. Speaking yeah. of stuff episode types that yeah. but like uh, yeah Mindwalk is just phenomenal uh, so this is your favourite this, this half I also absolutely adore the finale it's like uh, in, in contrast to the first season I think they absolutely stuck the landing with that but I'm sure we'll talk about but Mindwalk as a tee-up after that holodeck episode goes from strength to strength and I think it's just because what a performance from both the leads in, uh, in that episode. It's yeah. really... It's incredible. really fun body... Because body swap is obviously something that's been done loads and loads and loads of times, mm-hmm. like in not just in Star Trek, but just, you know, sci-fi in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a super fun variation. I mean, like, we've seen, yeah. we've seen body swap episodes where the two characters are not different enough for it to be an interesting body swap. I yeah. mean, even with the body swap in Strange New Worlds, which is really charming, yeah. they're both monotone Vulcans. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so yeah. it's like yeah. they're still being very similar to their personalities. But Kate Mulgrew's Admiral Janeway as a teenage doll yeah. is absolutely a ball. And you can tell the Mulgrew is just relishing getting to play a different tone. And she's yeah. so funny. And then the animation on top of it really just yeah. putting it in some awkwardness. Yeah, trying to be Janeway, you know, to, to Dal trying to be Janeway. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and Dal, you know, like uh, it's it's an incredible performance from him too. Because when Dal is Janeway on the Proto Star, oh my god! Like like, uh, and and Dal goes down to talk to Hologram Janeway, and it 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 basically builds to the the moment where the I think I mentioned it when we were first talking about the first half of the season was like. Oh, you just know that at one point Hologram Janeway and Admiral Janeway are going to be in the same space and they're going to talk to each other. Mm. And 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 I love the fact that the that, that sequence way. begins with Dull talking as Janeway. Yeah. And it was a testament to that performance that um, that I was uh, completely engrossed in in Dull as Janeway and did not think of Dull as Dull in that moment. It was mm. it was it was great. And then and then by the time Dull moves behind that pillar and then wipes over uh, Hologram Janeway's shoulder. And then it's the two Janeways together. Like, it's very seamless. Yeah, I agree. And it also leads very seamlessly into the two-part finale, going into Supernova, which I've got to say, I think is a really fantastic two-part finale. Like, uh, pretty rip-roaring, isn't it? Yeah. So much goes down, because these episodes are slim. They are, like, you know, 21 minutes or something like that. And, you know, this is obviously a two-part, but even those two episodes combined, it's like 40 minutes or whatever, like, you know. 
they're amazing like movie scale stakes yeah like they, oh to pull they do the thing they do the thing they yeah. don't just threaten the thing and then have it be like oh at the very last second I'm going to unplug the weapon the weapon actually goes off and um, yeah. fleets start attacking each other there's genuinely a cost there's a toll and yeah. and people lose their lives in that like you can tell mm. the entire ships get destroyed. Mm. It's and it's it's a brilliant like because uh, because they they've done such a great job over the seasons arc making the characters do everything in their power to avoid this from happening. Yeah. That when it finally does, they, they actually get you to think that like because because most movies and TV shows kind of have their cake and eat it, you know. Yeah. They they kind of almost convince you that they're gonna pull it off, not actually having yeah. the attack go go down. And then it actually does, and that, so that cliffhanger at the end of that, like in, in the middle of that two part, where they're just watching the ships blowing each other up, mm. helpless inside the protostar, it pushes you to like such an unbelievable place in that last episode because yeah. they genuinely can't just mm -hmm. get away with uh, with some quick fix. It they have to there's a price has to be paid, which is the most dramatic way to tell that story. I'm so glad that they stuck to their guns mm. and didn't pull any punches. But yeah, we were talking about leaving it out all on the field. Yeah. And they totally do that because you were talking about that cliffhanger. And that's one of those great cliffhangers where there are multiple moments towards the end of the episode that could be the cliffhanger yeah. or could be the ending of the episode. Because obviously the, the diviner, the bad guy, he gets his Darth Vader moment yeah. where he basically like turns and into, the yeah, yeah. into a good guy. And then, yeah, the Vindicator turns out to be who's a, a character who we found out is essentially undercover within Starfleet. Mm -hmm. um, this kind of female villain who literally she's even more evil than he was and just like... Even more like, yeah, 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 exactly. And she kills him and he dies sacrificing his life to protect Gwyn, mm. dies in Gwyn's arms, and you're like, that's, you could have ended the episode there. Yeah. Because I was shocked that he was getting killed off. Yeah. And in that fashion as well. And then, like, it's like, oh no, we're still going, we're still rushing things up. Well, I mean, that was a real shocker. And you get a great fight between Gwen yeah. and the Vindicator as and, well. And also, like, there's that, that new version of Dreadnought, who yes. looks like the tabletop yeah. version of Dreadnought. Yeah. <laughs> the coffee yeah. table edition um who fights and then there's a whole fight with dreadnought and the other the other purpose star crew yeah it's crazy how how well they they thread that needle because i mean like talk about the diviner really really nice use of the previous film because obviously zero's medusa powers uh erased his memory and mm. then he gets kind of like probably the the best way to do a darth vader turnabout which is that he is I mean, I mean, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it didn't work so well in Spider-Man Three, but like the idea of having his memory erased and him being shown kindness by Janeway and Starfleet is a nice way to have it be that when he gets his memory back, he's like, oh, oh actually, yeah. but you guys did treat me well when you had no idea who I was. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah it makes him realize. Gave him a genuine reason to have it wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's really great. I remember getting really swept up into that penultimate episode and was like holy shit they've already gone here like yeah. and then that time like you know because it was just like especially um because it's a you know essentially a kids show in, in a lot of famous kids shows you have the main villain they are the main villain mm. like you know in, in Tyrion you so you got the Shredder and Crack and Crang like, like you know Skeletor <laughs> and E-Man yeah. you, you'll go in I'll there and like, yeah you'll go yeah. like oh this this guy is going to be the villain all the way through and mm. it's like oh no 
Don't. Maybe mm. put it in the Buffy card, like, you know, one each season. Yes. Although, yeah, yeah, although yeah. we're talking about blowing the balloon back up again, what I love about, like, this show is that it, it kind of resists the mystery box elements of storytelling and they don't stretch things out over multiple seasons. Like like you said, they build to an ending mm. and that is the ending. But, like, if you think about the, the avenues they've left themselves after beyond this conclusion, it's like Gwyn going to find her home world as the unifier... Her father's still alive somewhere, so there's a way for this character to return, but not. But that character's sacrifice still has weight because he genuinely yeah. did die and give his life, and yeah, it, it would be a different character. But like, yeah, I love it when shows, like you say, like they don't save anything for later. They yeah. they, they they use all of it and and and, and give you a proper ending. Because the thing that like that makes me so mad about modern day IP industrial complex and storytelling it's just that there are no endings you know like yeah. and, and, and this you know we should almost be grateful that like the, the end of this season is as probably as satisfying ending to the entire arc that they started off from the first episode as you can ask for and everything after that is going to be like well it's exciting because they'll build a new story yeah, I, I found it incredibly satisfying as an ending. Because they really do just, you know, set the dynamite off, essentially. It's like, protostar destroyed, hologram Janeway. Pulling a mason. Like pulling, a, a, pulling a mason. Yeah. 24. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doing the, doing the, the CTU boss thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. And it is, uh, what I like about this is because those are two things that are obviously a ship and a hologram are not actual kind of human characters, but mm. this is a show where the protostar is a character. That ship is a character on the show. And to see that, that's the setting of the show. It's yeah. on the posters it's and everything like It's the starship. Like, to have that destroyed and be like, yeah, that's not going to be the setting anymore, mm. is, like you say, it's bold. And also, with Janeway, I think the fact that they've shown the duality between the two Janeways, we've been able to see the Admiral Janeway and very much be like, this is a different character. Yeah. By that point, Hologram Janeway is a separate character to Admiral Janeway. And her, it's not just, oh, she can die because Admiral Janeway's here, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. We've come to know and love Hologram Janeway, who's now lived her own life mm. as the kind of mentor for mm. these characters. And so her sacrifice, to me, still holds weight. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And even the fact that she is now too large of a file to upload, to escape with them, because she has evolved as a program over the course of their adventures. Yes. Her becoming yeah. her own person is actually the reason she has to stay behind, which is kind of like beautifully tragic. Yeah. And she has to make that decision to lie to them. And and like, is that something a hologram can even do? Lie to you? But she does. Well, she's evolved like, to that point. She goes full frightened, you know what I mean? She, yeah. she, she's really evolved to become a, a member of their crew and a human. And I loved it because you're right, it is distressing to see the protostar get destroyed. I think it's genius that it's actually a very sound solution, like, it's rooted in, like, what feels like pretty decent, you know, techno babble of, like, Star Trek Legacy. It's not like, oh, we're going to do some badass maneuvers and get out of there. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to go and shoot up some people. Like, we're going to go onto the other ship and take out some Romulans, J.J. Abrams style. It's like, no, if you have this thing that's going to blow up, you make it do its warp jump because of its incredibly fast speed, and then the explosion is distributed over a smaller portion of space. That's actually a really genius solution to, to the problem. But also, it, 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 it feeds into this, like, 
incredibly sad thing, which is having to say goodbye, and like you said, to that setting. And it's even more distressing when you think about the fact that this is a, 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 a an audience of mostly kids. Like, kids will have gotten really invested in that. Well, yeah. I think that's um, why and, and it works, but it works even better because for kids, because it's like, you know, you move schools, teachers don't come with you. Yeah. And that they're then moving to this next plane of like yeah. their, their development as yeah. young adults. They need to leave behind their reception teacher. Yeah. And now they've got a new Janeway who's going to be a different approach. It's going to be mm. like a different twist on that same person they were used to. Yeah. And they'll be a bit more disciplinarian, potentially. And there's that going to be there. And, mm. and, they're, and they're less there'll probably be it. some conflicts there from yeah. her not being the Janeway they know. Well, that's it. I mean, the old Janeway never used to do this. Like, yeah, never yeah. used to keep us behind. I think that's just a beautiful way of doing it. And just even if that is the final sort of message this goes, it's like they graduated that first class and now they feel that they've earned their stripes to kind of have, have a, you and know, a commission. Mulhu has more, you know, screen time as Admiral Janeway in that episode, but mm. her performance of her goodbye message to the crew in the shuttle that they hastily 3D printed to escape mm. the protostar, um, and then her final words to them, um, you know, helped immeasurably, I think, with something I haven't spoken about at all, which is like how great the score is. The score in that point, mm-hmm. yeah. when they're escaping the protostar, when they're looking out of the window and seeing protostar getting further and further away from them, I genuinely tear up. It was like a very rare moment of modern Star Trek making me genuinely emotional. Protocore is online. Ready? Go fast. Then reading her message, her recorded message, and then like her saying like, now go boldly. That last line from Mulgrew, I think it could be some of the best of Janeway that Mulgrew's ever delivered. Yeah, well I think uh, a lot of kudos to Mulgrew because I, I, I think she's really grabbed this with both hands and committed a proper acting performance to playing two different versions of Janeway in this um, in a really kind of you know way where you can differentiate them and which is you know hard to do through solely voice work and there are so many people who could have like seen this as just an easy paycheck and you don't feel like she feels that way at all you feel like she's really gone for it and like embraced the ethos of the show of introducing it to a new generation and i think that's part of the thing in terms of what's interesting about this is of course bringing back Janeway was kind of the selling point for the old school Star Trek fans yeah. in terms of going like it, the big thing I remember about Prodigy was like oh it's Jack Janeway's back that's, that's that's the big thing but for people where this is going to be their first ever Star Trek children the weird thing is is their Janeway will be hologram Janeway yeah, and then that's the Janeway after that. that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so when they die, it will have a huge impact because they'll be like, well, that's the Janeway I love going, like, you know. And so, I mean, yeah, this essentially ends setting up a sort of sort of Starfleet Academy situation where they don't, our characters, uh, apart from Gwen, who goes off to basically uh, try and unify her own species now, mm-hmm. uh, the Diviner is, is dead the rest of the Protostar crew 
They don't get to join Starfleet Academy, but Admiral Janeway manages to convince Starfleet to basically let them kind of train under her yeah. as sort of like her her inter private interns, I guess. Mm. Like you know, so they're going to be bringing her a lot of coffee and uh, um, <laughs> picking up her dry cleaning. Speaking like, of parallels between series, it's kind of interesting that the Dial's whole arc in this series is about being accepted to Starfleet as an augment, which actually happens in the second episode of Strange New Worlds, second season as well. There's an episode about augments and about uh, whether or not they can be accepted into Starfleet. Oh, well, of course, because the cliffhanger yeah. at the end of season one of Strategy Worlds is was number, number one. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so it, it's interesting how these things, once again, like yes. a, few, a few Zoom calls, that's all I'm saying. Yes. But, but, <laughs> but with Dars, it's a very, very different, uh, like that whole episode where he gets roided up on on, on augmented DNA mm. like spikes is really hilarious and but 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 I love that it ends with um, all of these potential avenues that all seem exciting but because there's been a satisfactory conclusion to the season it's not like delayed gratification in any way it's just like oh well that sounds like it will be its own cool thing yeah so let's move on to uh, final thoughts on this one Paul yeah it was a really strong showing second season I really liked it yeah I'm in. I'm in for more. Like uh, I think it sets up really nicely for, for for more adventures. Dave, you guys know how much I love this show. I, 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 it's one of my favourite things that's come out of the last few years in my medium, and um, I've especially loved that it reunited my loves of, of Star Trek. Um, this second season has only increased my my feeling, but also um, it's it's come along in a time where television is starting to become so sort of like. Uh, it's kind of eating itself to the point of becoming valueless. And I think whenever you see something that, that manages to take an IP, an IP that you love and have had such a long uh, history with, and manage to keep it relevant and manage to keep it uh, very, very in the moment and emotional and, and invested, you know, that's a, that's a real magic trick in this day and age. And I, I, I can't thank the creators enough. Aaron and the team for, for being so disciplined in, in doing so. Every character has an arc, every character's there for a reason, every episode justifies its existence, and all of the fan service, you know, like everybody has their own certain, like, uh, you know, tastes and stuff like that, but it feels like the best curation of what I believe Trek is. I want to see this crew grow and mature. And it's not like, I reject the sort of ethos that you constantly see online by, you know, the, Fans on the internet could be a real bunch of Dudley Dursleys. You give them a bunch of great things, and they're like, oh, that's great. Now I want to see it in live action, like the, the new Ahsoka show. They love seeing Hayden Christensen and the young Ahsoka in like a few Clone Wars segments or whatever. And they'll be like, great, now let's have five seasons of that live action. Like there weren't seven seasons of it in animation beforehand. Animation is is not a genre, it's a, it's a medium. And, and the protostar crew deserve to carry on in that medium. I, I, I'd love to see them in live action, but the show itself is just pure Star Trek to me. If there's one thing that the generations of Trek fans will tell you, it's that once something enters the canon, it's in the canon forever whether you want it to be or not. This crew exists, this ship exists, there's a fan base, and this fan base is only going to grow. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you've said. Like I say, I continue to think that this is the bravest, boldest iteration of new track. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's my absolute favourite, but I do think it is extremely good, and I think it's 100% up there, the very best of this new iteration. I think this is up there with like, you know, the Picard season threes of this world and such like that. 
and um, I, I think it's a really important Star Trek show in terms of because I, I genuinely am a believer that Star Trek because I can remember watching it as a kid I think it can be slightly kind of hard to completely get into for young kids at first I think sometimes you know I, I did enjoy Star Trek as a kid but um, you know I never became a massive fan and I kind of think, like, until, you know, now, really. And I think maybe if there'd been a show like Prodigy to kind of guide me in, like, properly, it would have made me a bigger fan earlier, I think. They use animation to its absolute advantage in the show by having, like, basically an all-alien crew, essentially, or all-non-humanoid crew. And I think the fact that this show did a thing which a lot of shows do not do these days where they literally just rinsed all the plot they had for that first season in that first season knowing that they were confident enough about the characters they built that if it did get a second season they can come up with a new story yeah kind of thing like you know they which is something a bravery that not many shows show now Literally, most shows go, oh, no, we want to just continue to develop this and just kind of be one big 50-hour movie and stuff like that. It doesn't feel like, feel like filler, does it? There's no, doesn't really, like you say, it doesn't really feel like there's filler episodes. Every episode, even if it's like a more individual episode, is building towards the larger arc while also telling a satisfying, done-in-one story. And the fact that they, they leave it at the end, I go, right, great, because if you... Genuinely, if this genuinely was cancer, genuinely was the last we ever saw, I'd be like, that is a satisfying close. But I would still be sad that we didn't get to see more. And I think that is a testament to the show and its writers and its cast, who obviously, as we record this, we're in the midst of the WGA and SAG strikes, which are ongoing because the Hollywood studios will not give them the conversation they deserve and also not protect their professions from AI, you know, and not just a danger to people's livelihoods, but also a danger to storytelling. Yes. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I just want to, and I apologise if I butcher any of these names, but I just want to read out the writers and main cast of Star Trek Prodigy. So the writers are Kevin and Dan Hageman, Deandra Pendleton-Thompson, Aaron J. Walkie, Lisa Schultz-Boyd, uh, Nikhil S. Jaram, Judy and Shauna Benson, Chad Quant and Aaron McNamara. And the cast is Brett Gray as Dahl, Ella Purnell as Gwyn, Jason Manzoukas as Jank and Pog, Angus Emery as Zero, uh, Riley Alzaraki as Rockstar, Dee Bradley Baker as Murph, and of course, Kate Mulgrew as Jane White. I just want to do that just because like, it's important to realise the people who are making yeah. this stuff for you, because w- without them, without those voices, uh, both in the writer's room and on the screen, the show would not exist. And a show this good and this brave and bold would have never been written by AI because AI is just designed just to take bits of pre-existing stuff and splurge it out onto the screen. Whereas this is a brave, bold new take on the Star Trek universe. So there we go. And I hope it. Thanks so much for doing that. That was awesome. Right. Well, 
let's wrap up there. But one thing, a bit of housekeeping, I just want to mention a few announcements, a few uh, award announcements. Um, literally, I just thought it'd be, because uh, we've talked about Star Trek Ambush, or Ambush, as it became known, on this show quite a few times, like way, way back when we first started the show in 2016. We had uh, Greg Locke on, the director of Ambush, which is a Star Trek fan film, on our fifth proper episode, which was on Star Trek V The Final Frontier, uh, as Greg came on to valiantly defend it, because he was worried that we wouldn't like it. Obviously, me and Matt proved him wrong on that one. I liked it. And yeah, at the time, we had already shot Ambush. We actually shot this back in 2014. So before I was even doing this podcast, and literally, listeners, when I shot this film, I didn't know the difference between a Romulan or a Kardashian, and I was playing a Romulan. So, you know, it, it The really... Kardashians are family in LA. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, who? Like, uh, just like, Kim? Like, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I played uh, Praetor to Sodius in Ambush, who was the kind of lead Romulan bad guy uh, in that film. And after many years in development hell, it finally came out last year, thanks to uh, the brilliantly talented Tom Savile, who's also been on this podcast, completing the VFX on that project. And it really went down really well. The response we got from it, obviously Dave, you were in it as well. Yes. Um, it, it was just been fantastic. And it's, it's, it's picked up a few awards uh, over the year, various fan film circles. But there was a Star Trek fan film showrunner awards uh, ran by the website Fan Film Factor uh, that supports kind of fan films. And about 18 different kind of fan films um, were kind of nominated for awards and judged by a judging panel of 10 kind of fan film makers themselves. And Ambush picked up 13 awards, including you bet best, it. Best, yeah, 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 including best picture. But also, I myself won the Captain Award for best point actor <laughs> for uh, my role as Prince of Sodius. And, uh, of course, your brother also won a Best Actor Award. He did? Yes, Stephen. Stephen, yeah, as Maddox, won a Best Actor Award for that, for that role. It. As the... Uh, okay, he's very modest, unlike me. But, yeah, we, we, it won loads and loads of awards, which is really fantastic and well-deserved because... Greg and his team did an amazing job on that film. Really came together well in the end, and I, I think the kind of you know um, praise it's got is deserved. I, I, I'm a small part of it, but like I really enjoyed playing that role. It was a lot of fun to see it finally come it, together. It, I think you are being humble. I think it, it is a really, really great performance, and oh, it's voted for by the community. Do you have children? I had children. Have you ever seen a child's face light up when they find a new game? When a child finds a good game, they have to play it. It's in their nature. They stumble, they fall, they improvise. So why is it that child 
masters the game. They believe they can change all the rules. The only reason the Vulcans ever took an interest in you was to keep you in your place. <laughs> you can't control a race of logic. That's why a hundred years ago, we came to put you in your place. <laughs> Clearly further lessons are required. Yeah. Uh, it was nice to finally see it and see myself eight years younger. <laughs> Fantastic de-aging work by Tom Saffold. I, <laughs> really smoothed out the lines. I think we just said, like, if you're going to do it, just shoot the film eight years before. That's <laughs> yes. the only way yeah. I will accept it. You didn't realise that Tom did an AI version of everything. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Treehouse now owned my image. <laughs> I was wondering why I now had six-pack abs. <laughs> I also <laughs> wanted to talk about awards, just because Matt, of course, who isn't here, has also been nominated for awards. So is Paul Dano okay? Which is yes. Matt's other podcast. He used to have two other podcasts, but some Double Deep is now sadly defunct, but he does his Paul Dana okay with uh, Daryl, who used to host Sundog Deep with him, um, which is an amazing podcast where it started out as a Paul Dano filmography podcast, um, which they did for four seasons um, leading up to kind of the release of The Batman, where they actually did so well that they got mentioned in Hollywood Reporter. Yes. Uh, at one point, there's a full kind of write-up on them in there with an interview with um, Paul Dano. And as they've run out of Paul Dano films, they are now doing various kind of side seasons based on different character actors. So they did Judy Greer. Yeah. They've just come to the end of their Clancy Brown season, which I leapt on to do uh, The Shawshank Redemption. It was lots and lots of fun. But they have been nominated for two awards at the Independent Podcast Awards. It's the inaugural Independent Podcast Awards. Uh, much needed um, independent pod awards that have been set up. And they have been nominated for Best Pod Artwork. And I should say that the artwork of their podcast is done by the same person who does the artwork for our podcast, your brother, Stephen Trumbull. Very, very talented uh, artist. We discovered, because, I mean, again, he won an award for his performance of Maddox, so what yes. a multi-talented fellow. Multi-hyphenated Stephen Trumbull. Yeah, yeah, he's doing very well there. And it also is nominated for Best Pod Jingle. Also very well deserved. Daryl uh, literally composes, like, not only the theme tunes, of all the individual seasons, but literally composed like new songs for every single episode mm -hmm. of that thing. So that is that's pretty amazing. So best of luck. I'm not sure when the uh, results will come out, but I'm sure we will announce it on this podcast as well. I'm sure they will on uh, It's Paul Dano Okay. So as Matt isn't here, I just wanted to uh, mention that. David, where can we find you online and hear about all you're doing? As you're obviously going to be announcing a load of stuff about the Twits soon, because when you, the last film you worked on, Wendell and Wild, mm -hmm. prior to this, when that actually came out, you dropped a lot of really cool stuff online of kind of your story art and stuff yeah. for, for that film, which I think 
went down really well. People really liked to see. It was see a lot it. of fun. It was almost like too much. I was like, I, 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 yeah. I, I had to take a break after like realizing that it was like weeks and weeks and weeks of all of this bought out. But I've been so excited to share all this stuff I've been working on for years. I would say if you are a fan of animation or you just want to kind of learn about getting into the animation industry, Dave's a really good person to follow on Twitter and Instagram because you do post a lot of interesting stuff on there, I think, in terms of from this early story artist kind of stage in your career and stuff. And I think that'd be really, really good Absolutely. to learn Absolutely. It's, 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 it's at D-Rumble uh, while I'm currently still on that house site, uh, you know, which is anybody's guess where I'll be uh, regardless. Like, but, but at the same time, you know, um, yeah, I, I do love posting. Right now I've been posting a lot about the strikes and a lot about those issues. So I would love to be able to talk about anything else, but I'm yeah. sure that that will come sooner than later because the, the course is just. Yeah, I, mean, I think we should stress to listeners who don't know, because um, some people want to, the, yeah. the animation guild is like completely separate currently, currently, at the moment, although I know that that may change. Well, also, uh, uh, we will be renegotiating our contract probably in the new year, and so it's, you know, talk to me this time next year, who knows what we'll be doing, probably well, nothing. Exactly, but yeah, I just want to stress, because there's a lot of, um, I, I think, well-meaning people who want to support the strikers um, at the moment, but perhaps not fully versed in kind of, you know, the way Hollywood works and those kind of things. So sometimes uh, get a little bit over-eager mm. to kind yes, of be so like, I am scared. Animation is its own guild, but also animation is probably one of the uh, industries in this business that probably requires a, uh, a better deal more than most as well. Yeah, well, so we won't now, have our time. We've just had the VFX workers all unionising, so that's uh, brilliant, and I hope long may it continue. Solidarity. Paul, you're not on uh, X anymore, of course. You you, you no. left that longer. You left it before it was X. Yes. Like, you don't even know what X is. No, I <laughs> just the, you are the lucky one. <laughs> just the rumour that that man was taking over was enough to like, <laughs> send me back in. Yeah. But both you and me are on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. Can I find their Letterboxd? Yeah. Like, yeah like you said. Exactly. They See can what track films I'm able to watch in between child rearing? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you can find me on the le- on uh, Letterboxd at The Demps. Not, not quite posting the numbers we did a few years back. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but get, through some, get through some things. I think um, that's kind of become our favourite social yeah, media. Absolutely. Like, it uh, is. You know, just uh, looking back over the movies. I mean, now, you know, they're... With the way things are going, there will be no more movies in the yeah. future. That's fine. So already retreated to classics We are left with a fantastic legacy <laughs> of uh, content <laughs> to explore and discover new things in. So yeah, and you can find us at Spotlight Pod, at X, at Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, so come find us while you still can. <laughs> and until next time, go fast.